Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get into our show today, I wanted to play you a quick trailer for our sister podcast, Rolling Stones Musicians on Musicians, which will also be running in this feed for the next few weeks. Well, I have so many questions for you, so I'm going to start asking them. Do you feel that you've received the respect you deserve as a singer, not just like an artist and a figure, but as a singer? I'm actually talking about this way more than I'm supposed to. For more than 50 years, the writers at Rolling Stone have been sitting down with artists to get inside their sound, their creative process, and the realities of being a musician. But what happens when you take the writer away and ask two great artists to interview each other? I feel like I can get in a room with any musician and we can create something together. I feel like it's a superpower being able to do that with yeah, somebody. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. <laughs> Musicians and Musicians is adapted from Rolling Stone's popular franchise, produced by OBB Sound and sponsored by Audible. Listen to the first episode today, wherever you get your podcasts. What an answer. <laughs> yeah. I'd read that and be like, sick. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So going back to Reputation in 2017, we've done deep dives on the show for each of Taylor Swift's new albums. And every time I've been joined by Brittany Spanos, who just taught a class on Taylor at New York University, and Rob Sheffield. Now, of course, Taylor has just released yet another new album, Midnight's which just broke the record for single day streams on Spotify. So Rob and Brittany are back and we're doing it again. And we're going all the way through the album, including the bonus songs on the 3 a.m. edition. This is our longest, deepest dive ever. Hope you enjoy it. Professor Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield, welcome to the Taylor Swift Midnight's episode. Thank you for having us. Happy Midnight. We had an ability to get ready in advance on the songs on the main album. And then, you know, we're just a little peeved with Taylor. She unleashes seven, (laughs) seven other songs at three in the morning. I didn't quite believe she was going to do that, I have to admit. Yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised that there was more new material. I definitely I was convinced when she had said that there's a 3 a.m. announcement that was going to be tour dates or a re-record or something. But yeah, they very well complement Midnight's and are kind of like a really fun addition. I was basically chiding fans. They thought there was going to be a whole other album. I was like, come on. You always <laughs> think that Radiohead fans thought King of Limbs had a second part. Ha <laughs> ha. And then I was basically wrong. So there you go. She's been very generous with her song output recently. I think, unfortunately, this is proving that touring is a waste of time. Don't tour. Just sit at home, re-record all your old albums, get in the vibe, and just pump out songs. We love it. Rob, you were saying in your ideal world, Taylor just keeps riding this creative wave. Well, it's incredible. Yes. She has seven number one albums in five years. That's kind of a, a feat historically. She's now got 229 songs in her catalog. Uh, The first time I did my Taylor Swift songs ranked list five years ago, right before Reputation came out, there were 115 songs. 
She has doubled her catalog. Already a gigantic catalog. She's on a historic roll. She's like Bowie in the late 70s or like Little Wayne in, in 2007. When the muse touches you with this kind of winning streak, you know, you owe it to history and you owe it to yourself to just go all the way with yeah. it. I usually play a drinking game with Springsteen, Bowie, Morrissey references on these episodes, but you did Lil Wayne, which I wasn't expecting. And so cheers. Uh, drinking some water. <laughs> Lil Wayne in 2007, it was like yeah. oh, yeah. 20 no, minutes. It's, it's, he had like another insane... Yes. Not totally apt comparison, just wasn't expecting it. <laughs> just didn't see it coming. Brittany, in her great review of Midnight's, which if you haven't read, just go ahead and pause this and, and go read that. Brittany referred to the purple-blue synth fog of this album, which is a lovely description. And it is, in fact, of course, a return to synths, both for Taylor, after the folkier approach of Lauren Evermore. And for Jack Antonoff, it's actually really funny. He dropped an enormous clue to this last year when I profiled him. He's been all about guitars and his collaborations with all these different people, including Taylor. The, those albums were more Aaron Desner, of course, but, you know, in, including Taylor with Lord. I hate the winter. Can't stand the cold. I tend to cancel all the plans. Uh, and, and a million other people. And he was like, oh, you know, actually, lately I've been back on the synthesizers. I've been really focused on synthesizers and some of the new stuff I was working on. So huge clue. <laughs> so we should have seen this coming. But it carries forward from reputation. Uh, and everyone knows we believe that's a deeply underrated and, and great album. Absolutely. And, yes. And also, <laughs> among other things, from The Archer. I'm yeah. lover. I've been the archer. I've been the prey. Who could ever Which was a slightly different synthy direction. But what are the other tepstones we're hearing? We're gonna go song by song, but I thought we'd talk more broadly about the sound before we do that. Yeah, I mean I feel like this album, just because of the subject matter too, right? These like midnight, sleepless night type of um, intrusive thoughts kind of taking over her brain about relationships and about her own like self-hatred and about her enemies and all these different things kind of running through her mind in the middle of the night. So it's kind of caught between that sort of dark broodingness of reputation. She has a very similar sort of like middle of the night anxiety energy ringing through it there's so much of the anxiety seeped through it and also like the you know 1989 which is such a kind of bright sounding album welcome to new york it's been waiting for you welcome to new york welcome to new york and like there is so many bright soft moments throughout this but yeah i feel like it's definitely of taylor's albums i feel like it's closest to 1989 and reputation I love synth pop Taylor, and I think also it's such a, a fun surprise. No one really knew what she was going to do next. This is the most kind of shocking turn in a lot of ways because we've seen so many different sides of her. And so the last two years were kind of so steep, like in her very productive era, she was very much doing a very specific sound, even in terms of the re-records, doing a country album or two, you know, two country albums really like at the for the first two re-records after like this like indie folk turn. So I think it was kind of fun to see her go back to the synth pop that she was making pre-pandemic and find new ways to unlock that. Rob, maybe you can touch upon what you think of this sound and 
what touchstones you're hearing within it. Well, it sounds very much like Reputation. It reminds me a lot of something that she said to you after Reputation came out, that that was her nighttime cityscape record. And I, I love the way she described it to you, that she was picturing deserted industrial warehouses and she didn't want to have any acoustic instruments. She said she didn't want anything wooden on that album. She said there's, there's no wood floors on that album. And she compared it to Lover, which she said is, you know, lots of wooden floors. We could leave the Christmas lights up till January. And this is our which is funny because, you know, then for her next two albums, Folklore and Evermore, she, you know, she went deep into the wood to the point where Lover seemed like a, you know, pure pop record by comparison. But th this really goes back to that sort of nighttime cityscape sound that you were discussing with her about reputation. It really has that sound, but it takes it to new emotional realms. As far as other artists, what sonically, what are you hearing here, if anything, comparison-wise? It's very sort of uh, moody. There's a lot of uh, what in the 90s we used to call trip-hop. A lot of that on this album. Lavender Haze is very much a Massive Attack kind of song. You know, comes back like a 90s trend, you know, and <laughs> every 90s trend comes back on a Taylor record somehow. And it's definitely got a lot of that sort of 90s R&B. It reminds me a lot of my favorite Janet Jackson record, The Velvet Rope. Mm. I, Taylor had to be listening to a lot of The Velvet Rope when she was writing these songs. Shouts out Janet on the sure record. Does. So yeah. all for you like Janet. It's the new In My Feelings Like Drake. I, <laughs> this thing about Taylor Swift, she's somebody who, you know, studied all the all the expert pop moves. She's somebody who wanted to be a brilliant songwriter really young in life, just learned all the tricks super young. So she was already, you know, a, a total master when she debuted. She was like more than a mm -hmm. teen prodigy. She debuted as somebody who knew all the tricks down cold. And so her ability to connect different sort of sounds and different sort of eras in history at her own level of emotional specificity, you know, nobody's ever really done that before. The singing on this album was one of the first things I noticed. I think that, again, going to our thesis that no artist should ever tour, tours are over, wasted time, stay on the road, stay off the road. It seems like the time off the road, all the time, she spent more time in the studio than I think one can really comprehend when you really think about how much time it must have taken to do all of the Taylor's versions, she's pranking in the studio as much as anyone. Uh, and then uh, Taylor's versions and, and all this new music that you're referring to. So she's like the queen of the studio, the international queen of the studio right now. So she must be more aware of her voice in the studio than ever. And plus, when artists are off the road, they get to rest their voices. That's often when you hear a sudden leap in vocal ability. Taylor's always been sort of prone to theatrical elements in her song. You know, she's a storyteller, like especially when she was doing country music, she would do like a lot of those like country inflections. And with pop music, it seemed like she, you know, when she kind of moved into like 1989 and Reputation, those theatrics, of course, were a little bit sidelined to kind of deliver sort of like big pop anthems and to kind of show a little bit more of that kind of like vocal range where it needed to come out, you know, in songs like Out of the Woods. And I remember thinking, 
songs are like don't blame me where she's kind of doing these like big belting moments that she really wasn't doing so often on her music that people didn't get to hear constantly especially in her singles at least and so i think something like really happened and changed with folklore and evermore where it seems like as like a you know of course we, we've talked a lot about her experimentation with songwriting and like kind of like what this period of creativity was bringing out of her you could really hear so much in the way that she's recording her voice and getting to know like how she can do these different inflections these different tones it could be very subtle it could be little lyrical phrasing moments um like i think of like the way that she sings um the beginning of bejeweled on on this album something about the phrasing of it where she's like a little bit deeper than usual her voice is stronger showing off a lot more sides of it in ways that aren't belting or melodramatic pop and country theatrics and everything she's able to kind of show that she's able to really have control over it in a lot of ways and i think that's really fun and I think it comes with her trying out all these different sounds. Like we think of like hearing something like August. Or mirror ball. For such unique to Taylor kind of vocal performances and also ways that she's had herself recorded in the studio. In addition to the ethereal high end of her voice that she's showing off to incredible effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also debuted in electronically altered deep versions like Bonnie Vare does. Like I would compare it to there is the uh, infamously unreleased Prince album Camille, which is probably coming out soon, by the way, where he used electronic alteration to find a female version of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she has this, this, this voice, uh, Tate Swift, I would call it, she may have her own name for it, but but this this her own Joe Calderon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also note that she did the Camille thing before the Sun at the Times thing before an Enchanted. <laughs> Which is one mm-hmm. of her greatest songs, but also one of the greatest productions in any Taylor Swift song. But the the way she does the Prince duetting with Camille sort of thing and that mm-hmm. that song. I mean, it's it, it's a type of song and the type of production that she really hasn't gone back to much since Enchanted. I mean, yeah. how could you? You can't improve on that song. It's just like a perfect thing. But there's so much of that on this album. Midnight Rain, which is, you know, one of the songs on this album. There are a few of them. Brittany and I were like going back about the songs that you miss the first few times through, you yeah. know, like Labyrinth. I didn't get the, I didn't even notice it the first few times. Midnight Rain. I didn't even notice it the first few times. Just, yeah. What a, completely phenomenal song the prince camille sort of male female gaga calderon sort of duet on that song is really like adds this all other level to it yeah i also like i love um on like you're you're on your own kid sort of like that like extreme sort of like almost like childlike kind of you know like softness to it where there's this kind of naivety to the way she's singing and she's singing you know a song like Snow on the Beach right before, you know, present day Taylor kind of confidence. And there's like a little bit of like the softness and this childlike nature when she's singing about this sort of heartbreaking kind of teenage moment that leads to her becoming who she is now and leads to her sort of being like, well, I can let out these feelings in a song. Great point. And I, and I also link that to the Taylor's Virgins project, because once you've attempted to embody yourself at various ages and stages of your life, on record to re-embody yourself, 
you don't lose that ability. Uh, yeah. So every artist, apparently, when they hit 30, should re-record their whole catalog. Because <laughs> it, re- it really helps you. Get to work, everyone. I uh, keep... <laughs> I keep texting all my friends. I'm like, Taylor is very, it, this is giving inner child therapy work. You can tell so much of what she's referencing is her going through her teenage diaries again. We saw it with like Folklore and Evermore, of course, like with the teenage love triangle, and writing a song from the perspective of an apology she'd always wanted from the boys who had broken her heart as a teen. Now we have these songs where she's like really digging into other sides of other songs we've heard, other themes that we've heard throughout her music and opening up the kind of portal to like what other sort of what else can she take from these moments and take from these anxieties and these these sleepless nights you can so much tell how much she's going through everything you can connect it to very specific moments you have discussed this probably with a therapist and are now kind of doing a little bit of reflection on your life amazing everybody's got therapists but nobody else is like sort of going back in time to have these dialogues between their you know 15-year-old self and their 22-year-old yeah. self and their 31-year-old self. <laughs> this album reminds me a lot of the Alanis video. Remember the ironic video where she's in the mm-hmm. car full of Alanises? And they're all kind of having <laughs> this conversation about what's ironic. So much of that in this album where all the tailors are sort of in dialogue. It's like rain. And she plays with that in the videos a lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She's doing, you know, like the anti-hero video. video There's there's three Taylors. It's so good. Love that video. As of 2019, she said she'd never been in therapy. Um, But, you know, who knows? Who knows what happens over the pandemic? It is true that she does a lot through the songs. I mean, that therapist would have a lot to keep up with. She would have to first give the entire catalog. To, she'd have to basically redo Rob's song ranking, uh, the therapist, and then and, and then take your course, Brittany, and then and then perhaps you could sit that. There's never been a therapist who had this much homework before they had to sit down. Yeah, absolutely, uh, yes, absolutely. Taylor has an artistic challenge lately that she's been more than rising to the occasion of, which is that she is a, in a happy relationship and has been for several years. And there's only so many songs that one can write that say, I am in a happy relationship. And with Evermore and Folklore, of course, the way she resolved that dilemma was digging deep into these fictional stories that she was writing. That was a fake out because, you know, when I first heard the one, the first moment I heard the one, I was like, this song fucking rules. And also, I'm so sorry that she and Joe broke up. I'm doing good. I'm on some new shit. Been saying yes instead of no. Like that was, that was, I swear to God, that was my initial reaction. I was like, holy shit, this, that's why I thought it was Tunnel of Love. But, but then I realized, was, so that was the way she solved that challenge. And this one, Brittany, as you're saying, she solved it with this brilliant setup, this concept album setup of I'm returning to these various points of my own life yeah. and revisiting them. So it, yeah. it's weird. What could have been a challenge for a confessional autobiographical songwriter and could have stymied a lesser artist has instead spurred some of her best songwriting. And one thing Taylor's going to do is she's going to find that tension. <laughs> she's going to find the drama. She has told us repeatedly on the record, I live for the drama. I love the drama. You know, it's all over. She loves it. She will find it. She doesn't need, like, it's a real say less moment for her, right? Where she's like, oh, don't worry. I will find something that I am going to, you know, the kind of nemesis. And it might just be me. It might, I might be the nemesis now. 
you know, she's really she's really good at that. She can she can find an enemy and she, you know, will find that person that will be that villain in the song to sort of like have this war with if she needs to and kind of create that tension. It's really true. It's it. She will find that drama. She does not need real life drama. It's so funny to think that Joe has been around for fully half her songs at this point. The, the Joe period is half her career at this point. It's funny that people, you know, joked that, you know, oh, like, you know, now she's got a steady, stable, functional relationship with somebody who seems like a sane, actual human being. What are you going to write songs about? It, it turns out that, you know, all that other stuff was more of a distraction that really freed her up for the most productive point of her career. I mean, again, though, it's not necessarily that easy for other artists. There's so many yeah. artists you talk to. I mean, it's a cliche, but I'm thinking about who's actually said it to me recently. Sheryl Crow is someone who will say, like, I'm afraid. I was always afraid of being in a happy relationship because I was afraid I wouldn't have anything to write about. So yeah. there, you know, and, and I was afraid of happiness in general. So there, there is that thing where artists run away from happiness and contentment. I guess other artists can say, can look at this and see how it's single-handedly uh, proven that, that, that very damaging cliche wrong, I guess. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, it reminds me of, um, maybe this is my... This is my like Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan reference. It kind of reminds me of drink, drink. latter years, um, Stevie Nicks, and the fact that so much of it has been so influenced by a mix of literature and past experiences and fictional characters. Like it does, you know, of course, Stevie, when we first heard her, it was really po- was pulling from very active relationships with people that she was performing with and all, you know, all these other experiences. And as she got older, that didn't stop her creatively. She continue to kind of write about those past experiences and Twilight and all of that stuff. You know. I was just going to say that, including not, Twilight. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> I will bring up the Twilight song. <laughs> Stevie Nicks Twilight song, the single best uh, artistic thing to come out of Twilight. No, no doubt. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> um, teach them. I feel obliged to mention that I go back to December all the time. There all you go. the time. Taylor Lautner. Yes. Famously beloved by Taylor Swift and Stevie Nicks. The connection um, we all need. <laughs> that was all preamble. We are going to go through uh, every song on Midnight's. We'll also talk a bit about the bonus tracks. Go get a drink, sit down, go for a walk, whatever. We're digging in. Let's start with Lavender Haze, the opening track. I love that her image for like the romantic relation, the ultimate romantic relationship is Don and Betty Draper from Mad Men. That's a definite like example of how the Lavender Haze can often cover up for a pitfall that you want to run screaming from, you know, Don Draper and Betty were indeed in the Lavender Haze when they got married and it turned into a completely life-wrecking disaster for both of them and, and for lots of other people who crossed their paths. It, it's just a wonderfully double-edged song that way. I think like, especially kind of the, in the lineage of Taylor sort of like opening diss tracks, this kind of being a, a diss at like, you know, very like, I forgot that you existed type of song where it's like, you know, please stop asking if I'm married and like all this other stuff. Like, it's just like, it's you so know, good. It's just let it be. Yeah. The only kind of girl they see is a one night or a wife. All they keep yeah. asking me is if I'm going to be a bride. Pretty on the nose. It's pretty clear <laughs> what, what we're talking about. So, and with a Zoe Kravitz co-write on it. I, so 
I guess the talk your talk and go viral, I just need this love spiral, sort of implies that if we're talking about that these midnights are at specific times of her life, being the concept, this was maybe from a couple years ago, this one, or is it now? I feel like it's now. I feel like the okay. marriage rumors have been really prevalent over the last couple years. There was like an engagement rumor like two months ago. There was a lot of reporting on it where people were like, she has a ring. Um, you know, it's kind of like an obsession that people have with, I mean, any sort of, especially like famous women and famous relationships. Are they going to wed? Are they going to procreate? So I think that's sort of been something that's come up every single month would, with her. It would make sense to start. It's either they're now. getting married or breaking up. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's always the rumor. If, they, if no one's heard from them in a while, it's always like, um, they either they are either breaking up or she's pregnant and they're getting married. And track two, Maroon. When the morning came, we were cleaning incense off your vinyl shelf because we lost track of time again. I want to shout out Wyas Armeth, our social media guy at Rolling Stone, who said that Maroon was basically the best song he's ever heard in his entire life. It, it is a pretty great song, actually. Yeah, I love how she keeps having the same New York romance over and over again. <laughs> it's like whether it's you know, King of My Heart. I'm perfectly fine. I live on my own. I made up my mind. I'm better off being holy ground. Cornelia Street. Give this girl New York City and a rooftop and a beer. And she's like, whoa, this is the ultimate adventure. She's got a lot of cities, you know, she's been to a lot of cities. She can she can write herself her own ticket in any city on Earth. I love that she keeps coming back to the idea of the New York romance as, you know, <laughs> the puzzle she keeps going back, the Rubik's Cube she keeps trying to go back and solve. Do I yeah. have to be the jerk yeah. who mentions, you know, you spilled your burgundy wine on my T-shirt? This is a very <laughs> Haler song. <laughs> the stain uh, of the red wine on my shirt, I'm bleeding love. The back and forth between great songwriters, it's, it's really kind of a, a beautiful thing to see, you know? Joni Mitchell and James yeah. Taylor got it out of their systems in basically one album apiece, you know? Like, <laughs> Wait, what did Harry say in um, his first cover? It was like the unspoken dialogue. I, I, yes. Yeah. Beautiful way to put it. They keep lobbing this, you know, lobbing this volleyball over the net back and forth. It's, it's just a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Would, Har- would Harry have incense on his vinyl shelf? Yes. Yes, he yes, would. He would. Yeah. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. Okay, fine. No, I'm convinced. Not speculating about any autobiographical thing, but like, but the fact that, you know, yes, you are. This, this stuff between. <laughs> I'm talking about songwriting. I'm talking about songs. Are. I'm talking about songs. Just this is the all songs. speculative. Just the songs. We're not in the studio. Yes. Just we the songs. Know. Yes. We're just having a little fun online. Yes. We're talking about a, a mythology that, that they both are inspired by. Taylor, as she just told the Washington Post, absolutely encodes things in her songs. And we've known that from the first album. The problem with that is in the modern world, of course, is that it, it sparks people going into QAnon level wackiness. But that's not really her problem. That's our problem. We'll it's a TikTok problem, to be honest. <laughs> yes. I think TikTok has made people like really. I agree. TikTok makes people. Um, and I say this as a person who like will be like, I read something and it's a, literally a TikTok video. You know, like I'm not I'm not excluding myself from this at all. When you have someone speaking into a camera very directly to you and very convincingly 
you are prone to just believe that versus Tumblr, where you can kind of like read something silly and then Google it later. In Twitter, of course, you know, there's problems with that both on and off. But like, for the most part, you'll get you'll get fact checked on Twitter in a very explicit way very quickly. Whereas TikTok, if you just watch the video and someone's like, this is what I think it is. Like I was following for every single every single theory that was happening on TikTok. I was like, okay, (laughs) this is uh, this is going to be a 70s soft rock album. And it's based off of this thing. And all of the, you know, it's like, I was like, okay, she was holding the phone a certain way. <gasps> so that to be, means. To, to be fair, you've, you've been trying to manifest that album for her for some time. I, so I I'm think that's, trying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a horrible job. <laughs> well, that's actually a great segue because in the brilliant video for the next song, she actually mocks this tendency. There is a yeah. moment in the video for Antihero. When she, I have to go back and explain a lot that we should be getting to, but there's a bit in the song where she imagines her future daughter-in-law murdering her for her inheritance. The video brilliantly kind of spins off of that. And there's a moment when her will basically says, I'm not leaving you jack shit. And then they say, wait, check. There must be a secret code in there that means the opposite. (laughs) And that is such a double self-aware thing of how her tendency to embed things in the songs has has led people to overinterpret to the point where they're like, when she refers to her boyfriend, she means she doesn't have a boyfriend. It's, you know, when you encourage people to dig, sometimes they dig themselves into their own hole and then bury themselves. But that's, again, not her problem. But yes, anti-hero. Paul McCartney had the right attitude, just, you know, the first time something like this happened on this scale with the Paul is dead thing. And and he just said flat out, I'm not going to deny it. He, as Paul said, his, his quote was, this will be the best publicity we've ever had, and I won't have to do anything except stay alive. And <laughs> he totally had the right attitude about it, and that's totally like Taylor's attitude. She loves this, you know, the fact that people are picking up on her breadcrumb sins, as Bob Dylan would say. Like, But yeah, that moment in the video is so funny. It's so funny in the song. It's, I love when the sort of, you know, alternate timeline Taylor appears, her secret sharer, and, you know, they... It's kind of beautiful. It reminds me of the Britney Lucky video. Britney Spears, I mean. Yeah. When, you know, Britney <laughs> is watching herself, you know, there's the wise elder Britney who's watching the young, impulsive, impetuous Hollywood girl. Yeah. Antihero yeah. is like the first song that I've really, really loved from my first listen on the album. That was like the first immediate favorite. I love the everybody's a sexy baby. <laughs> And I'm the monster on the hill line. I think it is so brilliant. Honestly, like, I think it might be my favorite lyric on the on the entire album. I just think that's so good. And I think it relates to a lot of things she said about, you know, like her song Nothing New, which came out as a vault track for Red, about her feeling like she was already washed up by the age of 22. That's a very real thing for a lot of teen artists who are trying to continue their careers and continue their paths into adulthood. And I think that was just like so... You know, I, I think it's just like such a great lyric. It's like very silly in essence, but I think it's also just like a really real anxiety that she was able to kind of put into that song. Yeah, there's like five things going on there. And it's also so funny. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby and I'm a monster on the hill. Too big to hang out, slowly lurching toward your favorite city, pierced through the heart, but never killed. There's what you mentioned. There's also, you know, she talked about, you know, the fact that she's her life 
becomes too big for people for her to be seen as a human being and that's sort of the too big to hang out as relates to that it's great to be that but it's to to be the level of what she is but it also means that like people have trouble treating you like a person people see her all the time and they can't remember how to act you might say (laughs) (laughs) their minds are full of big ideas images and distorted facts i mean what are you what are you gonna do (laughs) yeah Uh, drink uh bob dylan reference for for anyone keeping track um (laughs) so we could do a whole podcast just on this song you know when the, the beginning i have to say is not true i have this thing where i get older but just never wiser i specifically said in my two longest encounters with her between 2012 and 2019, I felt shamed in 2019 because I felt like I hadn't grown at all as a person. And here was someone who had vastly matured and gone to this whole other level. And I felt, if anything, I'd regress. I don't agree with her there, but I, I, I relate to the feeling. But then, I mean, so much going on. I mean, I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. Midnight's become my afternoons, Eli. When my depression, there it is, works the graveyard shift, All the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. Really, wow. (laughs) Maybe dig into that for a minute. Because it's a great, like, anxiety song. Like, this is, like, maybe, like, the best sort of thesis of the album in terms of what the concept is. Like, every single bit of it, we've, we've heard her talk about. We've heard her kind of, like, dig into these things in other songs, you know, like, feeling like, you know just this incredible anxiety about like public image, all of that. She's had fun with that in the past, but this is just probably the, the best way she's ever gotten that across. And so, so succinctly. Brittany really expanded my appreciation for Antihero, which at first I thought was one of the lesser tracks. One of the things that Taylor is a master at lyrically is the taking the thing, the spoken thing that people say in real life and making it into a song and including it's me. Hi. It's just the thing, the things that you don't think of as lyrics work often work the best as, as a lyric, but, and also the bit about the, um, my covert narcissism, I disguise as altruism, like some kind of congressman is an amazing bit of self-evaluation. She was always great at doing kind of like the glad handing part of her job, like she's running for office. So you can see her, if you've ever watched her greet 20 record executives in a row. She's incredible at it. It's really interesting to see that self-evaluation and for her to put that on the record. And, and Brittany, as we were saying before we started, how many famous musicians have had thoughts of descendants or daughters-in-law screwing them over for their inheritance, but just talk to their lawyer about it instead of putting right. it, putting it in, in, on a record? I Again, love she'll the, find the drama. She's going to find it. And she's invented a daughter-in-law. It, it, that. Yes, it cannot be stressed <laughs> enough. Her sons are not married yet. In fact, her sons do not exist. Like, it, it, it's so funny. It reminds me of in Long Live, where, you know, she's having this beautiful moment at, you know, high school graduation or the homecoming dance or some kind of high school triumphant moment. And she turns to her boyfriend. She's like, by the way, you'll stay with me forever. But if we break up, okay, you have to tell your kids all about me. And you have to show them my picture and pass on my message to them. And it's, it's, it's like, wait a minute, jumping so many, so many steps ahead when she had a perfectly, perfectly nice, secure landing to, to end the song on. And that's kind of going on here. I love that she's already having drama with her daughters-in-law. I just, I just think that's a beautiful thing. In terms of putting her own funeral in a video, I was watching it. I was like, I'm, I'd be way too superstitious to try something like that. So track four, Snow on the Beach. It's like snow at the beach, weird but fucking beautiful, flying in a dream, stars by the... You know, it, it 
interestingly, it kind of leaves room for an actual duet between Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey because it's a lot of intertwined vocals more than back and forth. The one cocaine reference on the album to be Snow on the Beach with Taylor <laughs> and Lana, but we get it on vigilante shit. I wanted that to be the Norman kind of folklore e type of guitar moment if there was going to be one on the album. Um, but I love the, I love the song. I love that Janet line. I think that's like absolutely great and so good. I love it. I don't hear much Lana in it. I don't I don't really hear her voice. Uh, yeah. The melody is definitely a Taylor melody, not a Lana melody. It sounds almost more like a Lana influenced Taylor song than a than a true duet. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in the whole album is on that song was uh, my flight was awful. Thanks for asking. It's just, a, again, a great thing to put in a song. <laughs> You're on your own, kid. I see the great escape. So long, Daisy May. I picked the petals. He loves me not. So- what a great track five. So good. <laughs> I love Referential Taylor. There's another song she talks very explicitly about girlhood, but I love when she kind of deconstructs that and talks about it, especially from the vantage point of someone who really built her career on being this voice to teenage girlhood and like the kind of real raw emotions that she was facing in her teen years and kind of representing that for so many of her fans. I love this song because it feels like pulling apart so many of those songs that we got from her early on, like Tim McGraw. Is when you think Tim McGraw, I hope you think my favorite song, someday you'll turn your radio. And our song. Drops on my guitar. He's a reason for the teardrops on my guitar. The only thing that keeps me wishing on. Feels like, you know, like really deconstructing like why she was writing these songs. Like what sort of is that like origin story to like why she felt so compelled to, you know, take out her guitar and like sing about the the boys that broke her heart. It's very archery in a lot of ways, but told from a kind of different perspective, like told like a little bit earlier in her life like it's just kind of really really beautiful and such a stunning song and i absolutely adore this one i hosted parties and starved my body just also something that she's talked about yeah but to have it put in the song so powerfully is really incredible and and also i think the first stephen king reference in the entire taylor swift discography is when she compares herself because in the bridge she jumps ahead into the future and kind of looks back and when she says, I looked around in a blood-soaked gown, she's rather brilliantly yeah. comparing her, her period of public um, disapproval to Carrie, which I absolutely love. Let's go to Midnight Rain. And Rob, you were saying this is the one, that, one of the ones that grew on you. My town was a wasteland Full of cages, full of fences Pageant queens and pretenders The sort of vocal duet is really kind of fantastic. Also, I love the line, he was daylight, I was, I was midnight rain. Very, mm-hmm. also a very Joni Mitchell Hajira kind of line. It reminds me a lot of Coyote. You know, it's dawn, I'm, I'm in, in the studio with my reel-to-reel, and you know, you're on the farm feeding your horses. Reminds me of that kind of vibe. The Prince Joni yeah. thing. Reminds me a lot of a lot of Evermore songs, like so much of Evermore really was a lot of these characters struggling with uh, being married, about what that meant to be a wife. There's all these different kind of takes on uh, like leaving sort of the the small town life and kind of 
moving like Dorothea and uh, you know tis the damn season like a lot of those songs dealt with this idea of what it means to choose your your career or something other than the traditional path of being a bride or being a wife and i think that you know kind of hearing from this perspective also reminds me a little bit of like back to december which we talked about earlier like this you know she is the character who's breaking the heart she is the one who is like you know after we just had you're on your own kid where she's had her heart very severely broken by someone and she's trying to turn that around now she is recognizing i did this i was the one who could not stick with this relationship and this is my fault that this could not work out I'm always keying in on the most confessional line in this song. I broke his heart because he was nice is a great little confession yeah. there. And uh, and then, I, as I said on Twitter, there's the part where she says at the end where she says, and he never thinks of me except for when I'm on TV, which is uh, what I would call the, the reverse hack and sack. Rarely yeah. attempted. A full reverse hack and sack right there. As long as I need to, and if you ever get back to yeah exactly like chasing that fame he stayed the same all of me changed like midnight um was also really great too another <laughs> another very 90s r&b like boho r&b trip-hop kind of thing it's another one that reminds yeah. me of the velvet rope a lot one of the most insanely underrated albums in terms of how many great albums it's influenced over the past 30 years but it's you know the, this to me sounds like a really like velvet rope sort of inspired song Midnight Rain is one of the songs, and there's a bunch in this album that also just really great with the vocal layers and harmonies. I know that when Jack works with artists, I know that one of the things that's fun is to sit around and just try harmonies. I hear that as much as ever on this Taylor album. Like she's lots of really, really amazing vocal layering in addition to the altered voice. And so, number seven, question. Good girl, sad boy, big city, wrong choices. We had one thing going on. Oh, it's very delicate. I love when she poses a lot of a lot of questions to a either current or former lover, you know? Like I think it's just a really it's a fun, bubbly little song. I love I love a lot of the sort of bubblegum, fun, fluffy sort of synth moments on here. Cause that's that's what I I really wanted from the album. That's that was my my dream for it. I was like, I cannot do another extremely sad one so just for uh my own mental health we needed to move to something a little lighter Brittany, Brittany you mentioned you mentioned this one is one that was kind of uh, punching a few theoretical hailer bells listen i again <laughs> do I, tell, I have do heard, tell. so I, it's not i don't think i've seen it confirmed anywhere i didn't see it in the credits as like a full like sort of sample but there's a lot of theories and it does sound very reminiscent of out of the woods from 1989, famous, famously Hailer song, as we we all Maybe know. The ultimate. I, I just think you know when you take a look at some lyrics, like you know, can I ask you a question? Do you ever have someone kiss you in a crowded room? I it just brings me back to the New Year's Eve photos. You know, there's a lot of miscommunication, much like the unspoken dialogue between them. And you know, I I think it's like a fun it's a fun theory, especially after kind of having that Grammy reunion, which for the Hailers was you know, very, uh, a, a great set of photos, but like, you know, I think stuff like that, it's, I, I just, I just see it and it, it seems like it's the moment. It seems like it's a thread has continued to question. And it's, you know, if this is a sleepless night, that's, that's one of the sleepless nights. It seems like you're talking but, about some again, kind of invisible string that's tying all these things yeah. together. Yeah. 
But again, not, even- not to speculate on her privately. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and every single one of your friends is making fun of you. I can see the, the One Direction boys doing that. And they were just, you know, silly and young. Like, I could see them making fun of them. So, anyway. Def- definitely Zane. Zane 100%. Absolutely. absolutely. So, that's just, just a little theory I have going. It's just a fun kind of light, fluffy song. And I, I love a light, fluffy song. I love the Glitter Gel Pen songs. The Glitter Gel Pen Taylor songs are not for everyone. But they are for me. That is one of my favorite things she has ever said about her songwriting catalog. Yeah. Brittany is referring to the amazing playlist that she did of breaking her songs down into fountain pen songs, quill pen mm-hmm. songs, glitter gel pen songs. Honestly, that's so brilliant. That's, that's something that like... I. It's very apt. It's so apt. And it's so like... Yeah. And it, it, it seems like something you would say, Brittany. It's, it's just so brilliant in terms of like... <laughs> I am rewriting the syllabus as we speak. I'm, around yes. those three concepts. I am Quill. I am Quill, Quill, Quill. And, and yeah. Quill, Pen, Quill Pen Taylor fans, we got wined and dined like crazy on Folklore. We knew we weren't going to get a feast like that again. We knew that that was supposed to tide us over for a while. We, and the Glitter Gel Pen fans were, were hungry. They, we were starving. They were hungry and they'd waited their turn. They were. I could only last on, on Lover for so long. Yes. Notice, notice so. that in the interregnum, Lover went from this weirdly maligned pop album that was that was so dismissed a couple of years ago as like a compromise, as as like the flop that somehow folklore was rebounding from. And that yeah. over the past year it's become her biggest album. Every week it's her yeah. highest charting album. Like Cruel Summer has become so popular by not being a single that now it looks brilliant that she never made it a single. That by being the summer single that never was. She's made it her ultimate summer song. People dream high in the quiet of the night. You know that I caught it. Bad, bad boy, sunny toy with a price. I will say it's been the album that I feel like I've returned to the most this year. For some reason, something about Lover has gotten a, a grip on me in a way that I did not realize it would end up um, feeling so, so much higher in my, my Taylor album ranking of late. Because I've been returning Cornelia Street and Daylight. This does feel very, you know, I feel like very close to Lover and kind of in that sort of vein of what Lover was starting to do and kind of is continued on this sonically at least. Totally. But I think, I think part of the problem with people's incorrectly evaluating Lover was that they got stuck on the, on the single me. And one of the things that's been brilliant about Taylor post Lover is there is she hasn't, she's just, me f- did feel like, rightly or wrongly, it did feel like a single that was trying to be a single. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't written that since. I think there's probably a couple huge hits on this album, but it's, it's more in a, a, a totally pure album artist way without e- even an attempt at something like me, I would yeah. say. I think she's, she's realized that there's no point in trying to like, be part of the the way that like number one singles kind of you know it's like it's so it's so all over the place now it's not as simple as just like promoting a song and then it kind of becomes a big hit like some songs hit some songs some songs don't some songs you know they hit because they take off in a sort of viral fashion some songs just happen to be really big like you know i feel like she's kind of been like i don't need to do this anymore and also doesn't have to kind of like coax something into becoming like a, a massive success for her 
And I'm really glad. And also, you know, again, like that, like you said, it, a lot of it gets misconstrued and like the idea of what people had of reputation or lover is so different than what those Apple albums actually are. And I think if we had only heard antihero for or any of these songs first, like that would have still been a misdirection from, you know, other moments on the album. Like, I feel like, you know, those lines on antihero that we, we love would have been so, so much more divisive and so much more like laser focused type of like, you know, anger towards her kind of having these like, you know, like the sexy baby line and like the daughter-in-law moment, like, you know, people would have just like been like, what is that? You know, it's, and I think especially in the context of the album, it makes so much more sense. And I mean, the, in the cruel summer thing, I mean, as I've said, it, it decided on its own to become a single. Uh, it didn't matter yeah. what Taylor wanted for it. And it also, I guess, it was in at least one Netflix show. She always knew she was a smash. I think we'll never, I think that's a good question for her is why that never came out as a single. I do remain curious about that because that is such a I think it was genuinely summer. the pandemic. Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was slated to be the summer bop of 2020. Yeah. And I think that. Because she had the lover fest and yeah. everything. I think she was holding yeah. it back to be the summer, the summer bop of 2020. And then summer 2020 didn't, didn't happen. Putting cruel summer on a summer where like no one can go outside. Disaster, you know, like, yes. That would have been a real, that's cruel. Like yes. that would have been a weird time for her to be like, actually, we're trying this song out. Like it just wouldn't have worked. Um, and she led with the songs that were much more like big and, and sort of like, uh, you know, just felt like they could overtake the, the pop moment in a lot of ways the very first time at a secret session when i heard that song and i mean she introduced it as a bop so it's not like she didn't know she's not you know she can hear her own music she knew she she knew what it was regardless it is a single it is a hit uh she has a lot of music to play when she tours and i think we know we're getting cruel summer and 10 minute all too well i think are, are probably i would hope are locks no matter what the rest of the set list yeah. She all too well off the 1989 tour set list. Nothing yeah. is a lock. Nothing is a lock. <laughs> mm. I hope, like, like Brittany, that this will be a tour, if there is a tour, which, you know, like hoping and, and figuring there probably will be, that, you know, that they'll be mixing up the set list because, you know, she's yeah. so good at that. Always love the moment on the Reputation tour where there was a wild card acoustic song every night. For her to be able to do that, like, especially if she's doing multiple nights in the same city to have, you know, mm -hmm. she's got so many deep cuts. But yeah, it's like nothing's yeah. a lock at this point. Yeah, the how to handle touring and how to play all this music, which the Wall Street Journal presented today in an article that said it was a it was a huge problem for her, which is a very funny way of framing it. <laughs> a huge problem for Taylor Swift. She, she, how is she going to have time to spend all her money? It's along that, yeah. that kind of, you know, what a terrible dilemma. I feel so bad for her <laughs> that she's released all this great music. It's really, how, how will she as an artist survive releasing all these classics in a row? I think the, yeah. the Wall Street Journal is on it. She may just survive that that difficult issue. She will overcome. I don't know if she can come back from this flop. I think it's like, I think having too many great songs, I think, you know. So number eight, uh, I didn't know until Britney told me that, that some people don't like this song, but Vigilante shit. He did some bad things, but I'm the worst of them. Sometimes I wonder which one will be your last love. I've seen so much hate for it. So interesting. Is this on TikTok? Yeah. Are people doing their anti-Vigilante shit TikToks? No, I've seen like tweets and people really do not like vigilante shit. Like I've seen a lot of people, they don't like it. I love when, when Taylor tries to be sinister because she's not really good at being sinister. <laughs> and I think that's the fun of it. It's why I relate. It's, it's like why a, I relate. This is what I would sound like. 
If I were trying, if I, <laughs> it's like a goth Hello yes. Kitty doll. You know, it's like it's not convincing. Like you're not te- you're not selling me. That sounds so that fun goth. though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sonically and lyrically, this could be a reputation track. It has it's it's the it's full reputation. This is back to that industrial area uh, for sure. And obviously, it's about. Uh, one or two of the businessmen that she uh, interacted with in a negative fashion over the past few years without being more specific. It appears to suggest that uh, if we were to take it literally, the the narrator of the song, let's just say, seems to have reported something to the FBI. Uh, Interesting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess is the literal vigilante shit being uh, referred to. Interesting. Um, And then the narrator seems to have befriended someone's ex-wife. Again, yeah. you know, I think there was a brief moment when people thought this was a Kanye thing, but I, I, I really don't think so. I think this is about her business uh, issues. He was doing lines and crossing all of mine. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. I mean, um, I, I do not think that the song is about Kim and Kanye, but I think it would have been really funny if Kim had posted the, um, the like, ex-wife line about, like, she's dressed for revenge and just logged off instagram you know and just yeah. did that like Sam- just posted like a screenshot of listening to vigilante shit and like just locked up like i think that would have been objectively it it certainly would have broken the internet to phrase, but I, I, <laughs> my gut tells me that that's not a bridge that's going to be mended oh um, probably but, not but uh but I, I, I just I, love I, the yeah. idea especially with everything else going on right now i would just um so bejeweled best believe i'm still bejeweled when i walk in the room i can still make the hole I yeah, this is this is the one. I love this song so much. It just it reminds me a lot of Gorgeous, like the kind of like again, like the the bubbly sort of sound to it. It's just kind of like the song sparkles, like it's like a little bit of mirror balls, a little bit of gorgeous, like it has that kind of like fun thing thematically. It reminds me a lot of Jealous by Beyonce, that kind of like, well, if you're not gonna appreciate me, I'm gonna go out tonight. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I love that. Taking one step back. Freakum dress on my clothes. Y'all say filling out of this skirt. It's just like a really fun song. It's so catchy. I think this would make a great single as well. Like I think it's just like such a, a fun, bubbly, um, and a, a, another very petty song. Like she, you know, the different side of petty for her. And I love that. Yes. It's very, I mean, it's very mirable. And and yet, yeah, I love how it's a totally different side of Mirabal. You know, Mirabal was so like, you know, upfront about the sort of seething desperation under the sort of party girl glitter. And I love how this one is just like, wow, it it, it doesn't even have that sort of you know, um, confessional aspect of of Mirabal. It's just pure desperation. It's just like very like you know, I'm dancing as hard as I can kind of song. Sounds like somebody's yeah. ready for a breakdown. It's a really like kind of fascinating song. Also, musically, like the 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 similarity to early Depeche Mode, Vince Clark era Depeche Mode. This is straight up like Speak and Spell era Depeche Mode song. I applaud. I applaud this development in her songbook. I 100% hear that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love the cadence of the the chorus too. Like the familiarity breeds contempt. So put me in the basement Stop. when I want the penthouse of your heart. Uh, just the way, like the the cadence and rhythm of that part, I absolutely love. 
this song scratches an itch in my brain that I didn't realize I yeah, had. It completely like destroys me. Also, like I love like that it's you know it's very much reminds me a lot of Evermore in a weird way. The songs that she described in Evermore is her trilogy of unhappily ever after married songs. Yeah, it, this it's also very getaway car in that yes. way too. Like you know, I love when, especially now like Taylor sort of playing a little bit more with like her as kind of the. The, the person doing bad thing in a relationship and sometimes it's to kind of offset something else bad happening or if it's you know kind of taking the taking the blame for for what's happening but you know this one's kind of a fun one of like you know well if you're gonna be a, a terrible partner i'm gonna go to a party <laughs> and i'm gonna dress up and i'm gonna have a fun time yes and if someone asks me if i have a man i don't have to say anything say i don't remember <laughs> i love that also the detail of the band asked did i have a man it's like She's yeah. got a very wild <laughs> night ahead of her, yes. The way it balances desperation and the, you know, and, and the, the sort of like, almost like pathological obsessive urge to sparkle, you know, beyond yeah. any kind of pleasure principle involved. You know, like it's really kind yeah. of just a fascinating song. Like going into Labyrinth, this whole stretch of the album, like, this, you know, this is, this is a side two. This is a side two. This yeah. is a side two, like banger after banger on side two. And uh, Vigilante Shit into Bejeweled into Labyrinth is like just a perfect three song run. When I was talking about her vocal range and, and great singing, this is definitely like almost like a, the, the synths and the vocals they almost almost take you into a, a Kate Bush area. Just really gorgeous. It's like the Hounds of Love, like the opening totally. track, yeah. It's got, you know, and this is, Taylor's done kind of like Kate Bush kind of songs before. This Also, like, I love how this one, it's, it's really weird how it's, you know, I think it's got less verbal content possibly than any other song on the album. It's like really, really minimal. The kind of chorus yeah. where she's just like repeating the same line over and over again. And just like one metaphor, which like I, I totally love in Hits Different, which, you know, hasn't hasn't been formally released yet. But like the, the yeah. lyrics are online and there's this great line in it about, you know, like I'm like, you know, I'm picking one metaphor per song now, which is like just kind of a funny thing for her to say. <laughs> so, you know, she is she's the queen of why one metaphor when you could have 22 like in the same line. I love how she just like she just goes with elevators and she just sings that really weird thing about elevators, then just like backs away yeah. and lets that sit there ticking for the rest of the song. A fantastic use of that line. Yeah, was, Labyrinth uh, is so beautiful. I was playing a game where I was trying to find any guitar before I checked the credits, and this is one of the ones where I, I thought I heard one sneaking in and the credits confirmed that. <laughs> so once in a while they would sneak one in. Uh, very different, very beautiful song and with a, a great little four on the four thing happening and just some again absolutely gorgeous synths this is in recent memory like one of the most beautiful synth albums overall uh, yeah. i would say this this album and I, I hope to talk to jack about this i want to know how many different because he uses he, he he doesn't just do software plugins he, he uses vintage keyboards i want to know how many different vintage keyboards are on this album because it my guess, listening to it, is roughly 300. <laughs> that's, that's my guess. Often, sometimes 40 on the same song, like one over here, one in the middle, yeah. one in the background. Vigilante you know. shit really has that. I, I really want to know what kind of like keyboards were used on Vigilante shit. Yeah. It's really showing it off, too. Jack is like, had that little, like, one, like, little, 
what it, you know? So it's like <laughs> a whole lot of people know exactly what keyboard was just by hearing that. Not me, but yeah, Jack, Jack has gone shopping. I Unbelievable. think um, also <laughs> real Eno energy in this song too. It's very, another green yes. world. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's, it's just like a really like just really a, a song that comes on very simple in some ways on the surface and is so complex once you start like listening to it over and over again. Yeah. And this is, I mean, I feel like the song is very representative of, you know, a theme that is still relatively new for Taylor that has now become her favorite theme, which is like finding a great love in sort of the worst and, you know, darkest moments of your life. Like that's become such a, from reputation on, like this has been such like a, a consistent way that she's spoken about, finding great love and all of her love songs have been sort of centered on you know like like call it what you want on the surface is like this song about all these rumors flying all this like bad stuff happening but here you are and you're great and you don't care about all this like that's such like a, a common theme now for her to kind of talk about her relationship and talk about love and like what like love is sort of like daylight breaking and everything like the plane's gone down i did not think i would find someone like you and yet here you are absolutely the breathe in breathe through breathe deep breathe out one was quoted in her New York University commencement speech. Yeah, she's so, sick for that. I would just say that I thought the plane was going down, how to turn it right around is sort of a summation of the entire album reputation in one line, which is yeah. also also impressive. The elevator thing, it, it's so out of nowhere, it really grabs, like, every time through, it's so jarring, you know? Like, yeah. And I, I just love the really minimalistic chorus. Sorry, like, I, I hope it's okay to bring up Gloria Estefan. I'm, just, you know, like... Absolutely. Huge, it's huge always okay. Gloria Estefan fan. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> Miami Sound Machine hits from the 80s, uh, Uh-Oh, Fallen in Love. Very like, you know, forgotten, mm-hmm. underrated, deep cut in the Gloria Estefan songbook. Not forgotten by Taylor Allison Swift. Now is it? I just totally <laughs> love like how you know, and it that song is just, you know, echoed just so beautifully in this one. Yeah. Always always here for somebody who can go that deep into the Gloria Estefan catalog. God, I love Gloria. <laughs> it cuts both ways is what it does. All right. You you can drink at Gloria Estefan as well. Just go ahead and have a drink. Um, track eleven, Karma. You're talking shit for the hell of it. Addicted to betrayal, but you're relevant. You terrify. Great hook. I mean, inc- incredible hook. Probably like my favorite, favorite chorus on the album. Like it is just like so fun. Um, yeah, I mean, again, she's not she's not a convincing sinister person. Like, I'm sorry, it's like a, a stuffed animal holding a knife. But, like, what's it gonna do? <laughs> And I just, you know, it's like she's when she tries, I mean, she like, you know, she'll again, like the the songs where she's kind of laying out the calculated stuff like, yes. But like when she's trying to be sort of like very much like this, I love that. I love I love a little kind of like dark cosplay from from Taylor. But this one, she's, you know, she kind of lets it be like a little brighter and um, kind of sillier and fun. And yeah, Karma's Karma is my boyfriend. You know, karma is the breeze in my hair on the weekends. Like, I love that. It's just so, like, so catchy. It's so catchy. I got to say, any any chorus that can make me like a song called Karma is, like, yeah. that's that's <laughs> A-level songwriting. 
This is the song that I was dreading. This is the one that I was like, can I skip this the first time? Like, I really, I was like, I don't know if I can go with, you know, like three minutes of a pop star singing about karma always like, and, and I have such unhappy memories. Not even Karma Chameleon? Okay, I love Karma Chameleon, instant <laughs> karma. Yeah, like, yeah. but uh, Karma Police, you know, even Karma Police is kind of, you know, kind of shabby. Yeah. Uh, that whole era where Taylor was talking about karma all the time in interviews, I was like, I don't have happy memories of that particular phase of, of, of the publicity <laughs> campaign. I, I just kind of like, so I was really just flat out planning on, on hating this song. And it's so good. Also, I, I love I think, how it's so yeah. serene and spiritual and enlightened. And then it pauses halfway through the chorus to say, "Nya nya." by the way, like, my karma's good. Aren't you envious that yours isn't? I completely love that. <laughs> That's kind of like, as, as you would say, the, the teddy bear holding the knife moment. It's like, yeah, it's like you, you, you broke concentration and meditation for just a moment there. Yeah. I think also like the kind of watching your your enemies destroy themselves is i think like my my favorite sort of taylor petty right like it's like i can just watch you do this all on your own without me having to do anything to like to do like to you know make your life worse like you can you can take care of this just fine on your own um and i love that as like a very kind of like petty sort of of statement i think she's saying she is the karma police number one uh, I think George Harrison had a deleted song called Karma is My Boyfriend around 1977 and, <laughs> and scrapped it, unfortunately. I wish George Harrison is alive for many reasons, specifically, though, so that he could hear this song when it gets to the chorus line and see his reaction. Oh, like he wouldn't be playing guitar on it. Are you kidding? <laughs> He'd be singing along. Yes, he would. Karma's my boyfriend. <laughs> so much in common. There'd be dialogue uh, in the middle. Yeah. No, Taylor, I thought I told you Karma is my boyfriend. <laughs> I told you, George, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yes, he would be all over this song. Karma is a cat. Totally love that. A great pop hook. I mean, also another like, you know, just like a great flex for how how great she is and kind of, you know, was with pop music, especially pre, even pre like Max Martin, of course. Like, it's just like so fun to kind of see. I think people doubted her ability to do that. Um without Max, like, kind of do, like, these big pop songs, like, early on in her career. And I think, like, you know, for her to just continue writing, like, these, like, incredible hooks, regardless of having sort of, like, a, a pop savant on there. Like, it's just, like, such a great, really just, like, classic, like, pop hook on there. So when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Track 12, Sweet Nothing, is the sonic departure on the album. I found myself around and onto your sweet nothings. I took a 
that they push and shove in. You're in the kitchen humming. And it gave me actual goosebumps when I first heard the, the gorgeous horns coming in. It's a very simple production. It's mostly electric piano. And then what I think are real horns come in, and it's gorgeous. I know that, you know, Brittany, for someone who's really enjoying the, the synth bop side of it, it can be a little jarring. I do skip it. I have been <laughs> skipping it on my last lessons. I, you know, I like the song. I'm happy for Joe. I love that she lets him write his little song. And, you know, they have these cute little moments together, whatever they, you know, whatever their couple things are. But yeah, like, I, I, this is not what I wanted. I enjoy it as like a beautiful ballad. And I, I'm, it's been, it's been a skip the last couple of times. I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, we just had karma. Let's go to mastermind. Let's stick with it. Let's keep being petty. Like, let's keep, let's keep with, you know, a little calculating, a little bop. It's, you know, it's kind of, it comes between two songs that I, I really just like, are really amping me up. Can't, you know, sweet nothing's not good for a hot girl walk. Like, it's not the same. It doesn't hit the same. No, so. no one will search and destroy a ballad like Britney Spanos. You just like, it's, I it's, really, I yeah. I, I'm so specific with my ballads. That's the thing. Like, I don't, like, I don't like, like, a really soft ballad usually. It really, if it's a soft ballad, it has to, like, really cut deep. Like, it needs to wreck my life. Like, it needs to actually destroy my will to live. I love a power ballad. We know we, I love a power ballad. But, yeah, I was just, I, I wasn't in the mood. I just wasn't in the mood for a soft ballad. I'm sure, you know, like, some of the songs on, on Lover and other past kind of ballad moments from Taylor, like, they kind of come and go for me. I got to be in a real, like, headspace. I'm not, I'm not in the sweet nothing headspace right now. I'm in the Carmen is my boyfriend. <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> I polish up real nice, like that. You know that that's the headspace I'm I'm in. Oh, sweet nothing's not your boyfriend. It's not my boyfriend. Perfect. You know, um, but I'm I'm happy for her, her and Joe. Um, I love they write their little poems together and kind of that. And he you know. says, oh, "Your mind." I he, love that. I had the same thing with Exile too. Like I did not. Exile was like a. That took me a minute. Exile was like a little, like just a. A beat too slow for me for a while and then one day something happened something just like turned on my brain where i was like i'm all for exile i don't know it's just those always take the longest for me i'll tell you yeah i i really think it's a beautiful song and and when you're in the mood you'll you'll you it will grow on you but i'll, the, I'll check back yeah. in in six months you know yeah <laughs> but the the bridge again breaking news taylor swift writes great bridge i mean really surprising but the the bridge industry disruptors and soul deconstructors and, and smooth-talking hucksters out glad-handing each other, and the voices that implore you should be doing more. To you, I can admit that I'm just too soft for all of it. I, I just love that final line and also her delivery of it. It's, yeah. I, I found it really touching, actually. And especially, it, it kind of, it actually is a self-revelation of what you were saying about vigilante shit that she, that you don't find her 100% convincing in the, the menacing. And it's, it's her saying, I'm too soft for all that. Yeah. She's never been a natural. All she does is try, try, try. I love this yeah. song. It, Brian, you were talking about the gearhead aspect of this album that Jack Antonoff has gone shopping. I love how there was, there was that <laughs> picture, like from the, the, one of the first ones of the midnight photos to be released. And she's in the, in the room mm -hmm. lying next to this like awesome vintage 1970s Wurlitzer keyboard. And I love how <laughs> I was like, okay. Is the Whirly going to be on the album? And it was like, oh, yes, it is. It got its own song. <laughs> this is such a perfect Wurlitzer song. It's, it's very, yeah. very 70s. And uh, it's something I love. 
reminds me of, you know, like something by, you know, the Climax Blues Band or something like that, or Three Dog Night. <laughs> it's, it's, it's got a real sort of vintage gearhead energy that I totally love. So we're almost at the end of Midnight's Proper. Thanks for sticking with us. We were on the final track of the album proper. What if I told you none of it was accidental And the first night that you saw me Nothing was gonna stop me I laid the Perfect yeah. song. Uh, calling herself Machiavellian. Never thought I'd see the day. Never thought. And we found What a it. self-own. Unbelievable. Yeah. Cryptic and Machiavellian. Yes, absolutely brilliant. The whole, you know, look, like none of this happens by accident. I'm a chess player. You know, that whole aspect of her approach to love and music and life and songwriting, just a brilliant thematic way to end the album. I just love this song. And it's so surprising and so funny and so great and moving. Yeah, again, in, in, you know, breaking news, Taylor Swift writes Great Bridge. Sorry to repeat myself, but um, (laughs) like I would say of the many lyrics that stopped me in my tracks in this album, I think that this is very close to the top of the entire bridge. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to play with me as a little kid, so I've been scheming like a criminal ever since to make them love me and make it effortless. This is the first time I've felt the need to confess, and I swear, you guys left out the punchline. I'm only cryptic and Machiavellian because I care. <laughs> yeah. I- Such a great, like, shocking song. Um, again, yeah. very, very Mirrorball. Mirrorball much. I, you know, I... Mirrorball has kind of ruined me for all other songs. Mirrorball is basically the meteor strike, and everything seems like lame after the meteor strike. Uh, Mirrorball is such a perfect Taylor Swift song to me that that so so many of the songs on this album sound like very much like different reads on on Mirrorball. But this is like such yeah. a funny one that she's like, "Look, I told you, you know, I'm not a natural, you know, like he didn't fall in love with me by accident, and I don't write these songs by accident." And also chess imagery and mm-hmm. you know when was the only other time in her career she's used chess imagery let alone so prominently dear john so she this planted this song in my brain and then she releases the song on the the bonus 3am edition that is just blatantly a sequel to the dear john it's yeah like unbelievable and a perfect example of the mastermind at work you know she plans all this stuff none of this happens by yeah. accident couple things that you know musically i would say that the what Brittany was referring to the song the sound what Brittany was saying about the sound of this song i would actually place it in that micro genre called that some people call synth wave and other people call outrun which mm-hmm. is the soundtrack of the movie drive is a great example yeah. of that genre and it's very much in that micro genre which is really interesting um and a micro genre that i super actually really love uh but and then lyrically, one of the things I the many things I love about the song is the uh, is the twist, which reveals that while she sees herself as the mastermind, the narrator, the love interest in this song uh, turns around and said, like, basically, I let you do it. You know, I knew you were doing this. I let you do it. So who was really the mastermind? Yeah. Uh, which is a great sort of uh, lyrical twist. Another song with a twist, of course, would be uh, Last Great American Dynasty. What are other Taylor songs, if any, that have the twist at the end? The M. Night Shyamalan lyrical twist. Dear John very Maybe much not. has one. You know, at the end, when it changes from I should have known to you should have known, that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. a moment and a half. Also, the archer, yeah. when it goes from, you know, they see right through me to I see right through me. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. 
that's a that's a night element that's yes that that's a that's a <laughs> lip reading scene in 2001 screamer for me <laughs> oh my god how read their lips <laughs> he read their lips yes so that is uh we we have done the actual album but you know in for a penny might as well be in for the whole thing there's seven more songs take a break stretch your legs but here we go <laughs> so we'll go a, a little quicker through yeah. these um through these bonus tracks because we haven't had as much time to absorb them as one reason but again we didn't really know they were coming the the biggest clue was that aaron desner who she worked with on folklore and evermore tweeted that uh not everything is as it seems because he's not on the album proper but he is on three songs of these bonus songs and let's start with the great war She loves she loves battle imagery. Very she's always had some some like you know different battle imagery. And again, it's she she loves to find the drama. She loves to find the tension. What greater than sort of like a great war or a great battle or you know all of that to kind of be the the place where it all plays out. And also very similar to you know labyrinth and the reputation songs where it's like this mix of you know we my like my hand was the one you reached for all throughout the great war you know it's like that sort of you know finding that that moment that bliss and that love and the kind of in the strife so good and this and, is and, a, and Chad, this is a, oh, Chad, the world war ii song on folklore so like i love that she's yeah. like now just like just kind of like cycle through like all the great military disasters of like it, it, it's kind of like great that you know she was like how can i top that one i want to do one about world war one and she's got you know the poppy she's got like real like world war one imagery in it like yeah. it's just like such a brilliant song that's one that like listening to it at like 3 a.m like you know like I, I i was kind of like apart from like the shock of like oh my god there are all these new songs this is one where like line after line i was just going no way and holy shit out loud glad i was alone <laughs> glad i was alone at the time so many surprises in this song such a cleverly brilliantly done song yeah it's sonically it's a aaron desner production and it's interesting because to me it 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 suggests um aaron desner trying to fit more into the vibe of this album so i i do i'd love to know the story of like you know how many songs there's three with him but i want to know how many songs with him were in the contention for this album because this is definitely in the vibe of the album it's not wildly wildly different yeah and i think also just like it seems like she's just sort of for the last two years posted up pretty exclusively with jack and aaron in terms of working on both the new material that we've gotten but also like on the re-records like they are the the people working on the production for that for those like you know re-records and also the new songs that we're hearing or new old songs that we're hearing on those so i feel like it's probably it seems like the way that her musical relationship with the two of them and why it's been so productive is it just seems like they're constantly kind of exchanging ideas and, you know, kind of going, doing this back and forth in the studio where they have this like great musical chemistry constantly, um, which is why we ended up getting, a, you know, a, a sister album to Folklore so soon after it in 2020 and, you know, why she kind of was able to turn out all of those vault tracks with the two of them as well. So, so yeah, I, I kind of, I think this is a good representation of the continuation of that. It seems like she really, and a lot of people were speculating, like, why were these songs left off? You know, like, why 
then we get the Aaron songs. But she had posted on Instagram. It seems like she really wanted this to be a Jack project. Like it seemed like there was something really special about them working on this together. Like she made a point to, you know, he's worked on all of her albums since 1989 and he's been the majority producer on a lot of those albums, but it seemed like she really specifically wanted him to be the, her partner on this project. And it seemed like it was really important for them to do that. And that came across very clearly. So I, I like that she was able to still find a way to kind of make Midnight's his own thing, but she was like, you know, the 3 a.m. even darker thoughts with Aaron Desner um, can also find a place on this um, and also be included. But I think she really wanted it to be like such, such a special kind of Jack and Taylor moment. Totally. I think you're totally right. Also, this is a different type of songwriting. Like these are really like mm-hmm. they're very similar to the big Red Machine songs. It's yeah. very mm. similar to Renegade. Talk about time. Not just in terms of the mood, but in terms of, you know, like verbally, it's very different from the songs on the album. It's like it's it's much more of a hyper verbal kind of song. Very very like, you know, evermore-ish in a way. Like you said, she wanted to respect the um the Midnight's project as doing a type of song. You know, it's like it's like pop miniatures. And, you know, she wasn't gonna go all over the place with this album, especially since she was committed to doing it as a single vinyl disc, which is an experiment she's never tried before. I mean, this is the shortest album she's done since her debut. The next song brings us to uh, Bigger Than the Whole Sky, which is a beautiful, another sort of Eno-esque thing with the gorgeous keyboards and then actually more guitar than probably anything else on the the whole larger album project. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. You were bigger than the whole sky. You were more than just a short time. Yeah. But, But yeah, beautiful, I think. This is a song that the first time I listened to in sort of like a haze of like waking up at like five or six in the morning and being like, oh, no, there's new songs. Like it didn't really hit me in the same way. And like I said, I'm not a ballad person. We've already talked about this. But this song, again, it needs to absolutely devastate me. And this song absolutely devastates me. I she has been talking so much about loss and grief. And this is a song that feels very much about that. And feels very similar to a Marjorie or Soon You'll Get Better. Like it feels like it's very much in the same vein of like losing someone or something. Like yeah. there is this kind of like very coded kind of death language around it. And um it's just like really, really absolutely devastating. Like just like the the way she's singing it. Like it's an absolutely gorgeous song. Um this this is when when I when I wanna when I want a sad ballad. <laughs> This is it. This is it. This is what I want. It's yes. I love that. I love that. Um also three words, sad, beautiful, tragic. We had a beautiful magic Okay. The 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 great lost classic from Red that nobody really pays attention to, least of all Taylor herself. It's it's a song that she's barely, I think she's yeah. done it live maybe three times. It like, you know, she yeah. doesn't even think it's that great a song. It's a great song. And this song sounds so much like it. And it's got like yeah. so much that the beautiful, like sort of twang guitar. In some ways, this is like the most country song on, on this whole project. And uh, I, I just love how it sort of like goes back to that sort of, you know, 90s Lilith fairness of, you know, that particular type of songwriting that she does so well. And uh, just really expands it with a song with just 
so much emotional impact. Like you said, so much grief in this song. Oh. I know we're going to go through these quickly, but I had another thought that I need to, I need to express in this one. <laughs> okay. you, you two lied. You lied. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it happens. Um, I'm thinking about the line The I feel like I thought about this a little bit because I was listening to like I was listening to her self-titled and like thinking about I don't know I went to Catholic school so I think about a lot of things in the vein of religion and prayer and God and like the way it's kind of come up for her across her music and like the you know the early country God sort of being this like figure in a lot of her early music that kind of went away and then later on it's like false God and the prayer imagery on like praying to like orange bottles on soon you'll get better and like thinking of the way that she uses again here um because there's a lot of like devil imagery in a lot of these songs um in like these bonus tracks and in this one it's like did some bird flap its wings over in asia did some force take you because i didn't pray um just kind of like a really you know cutting line in that um that really stuck out to me yeah it's a it's it's a child's thought and heartbreaking yeah um so Moving on, Paris. I'm so in love that I might stop breathing. Drew a map on your bedroom ceiling. No, I didn't see the news because we were somewhere. I love it so random. Like, I love how she was like, well, you know, like, we don't have a city song on this album. You know, like, you know, what? Why don't we do a, like a London boy or a, you know, like, welcome to New York kind of like, let's go to a city. Such a random sort of Paris song. I totally love it. I think every yeah. Taylor album should have a city song. So high infidelity. High infidelity. Put on your records and regret me. I bent the truth too far tonight. I was dancing. There is an Elvis Costello song called High Fidelity. Some things you never get used to. Even though you're feeling like another man. Good song. <laughs> Spawned a book and a movie. <laughs> I think it's it's rude to have a song that references high fidelity. Have Zoe Kravitz on the album, and then not immediately fund a second season of the show that was canceled way too soon. It was a very good show. Taylor should consider that. Consider absolutely. <laughs> We've tried to be a ta- we, we always try to be tasteful about delving into autobiography, but I think in this particular case, it's so blatant. And let's just say this song is about the boyfriend that Lena Dunham, one of Taylor's best friends, recently went on record. Okay, as, one as of saying, the best clips of television I've ever seen in my yes. entire life. Yes, God bless just, Lena. She answered the question, who was, who was her least favorite of Taylor Swift's boyfriends? And not, she said the name. We'll say the name. It's Calvin Harris. She says uh, Calvin Harris with air quotes, because again, that's not his real name. And um, when the camera pans out, she's sitting next to none other than Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> just sitting next to her on Watch What Happens Live. It is one yes. of the most, it is like one of the best filmed clips of television that's ever happened. When, when, I totally <laughs> missed Cohen, this. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, oh it's my God, Rob. Andy Cohen asking Lena Dunham, like it's like that um that game that he plays. It's like you can plead the fifth. Yep. You don't have to answer yep. these. And he asks Lena Dunham, like, who is your least favorite boyfriend, ex boyfriend of your friend Taylor? Then all of a sudden the camera pans out and Maggie Gyllenhaal is sitting next to her. And it's with, like the with greatest the, with, reveal. With the, with the greatest expression on her face. Like yeah, I can't she's even just describe there, like, the expression. Wow. <laughs> and then Lena says, you know, she was like, I'm going to answer. And she was like, Calvin Harris. And she's like, <laughs> like, quote, Calvin Harris, because that's not wow. his real name. His real name is like Adam something. So he edged out Tom Hiddleston. Really great. Amazing. Yeah. Win for yeah. Loki. I, I feel like, you know, again, we don't know for sure. She's never explicitly said these songs are about them, but 
in my theorizing as a as a professor, as a person who has spent <laughs> spends a lot of time listening to refutation, um, you know, it seems like like Tom comes out sort of as a nice person. Generally, he just I kind th- of was there at a weird time. By and, all by all accounts, he seems like a, a gentleman. And yeah, a, and it a seems scholar. like they yeah. you know they had a fine time together. They were just together at a weird time for both of them. And the real problem was Calvin Harris. Wow, <laughs> I love that. I mean, which is, I mean, I think you know, if you're dating a DJ, that's kind of the same. I feel like everyone who's dating a DJ has the same review. I, I mean, l- let's just be clear. The the reason why this one seems like it's okay to say is a because of the Lena thing, which I think has opened the door. B because she says, "Do you really want to know where I was April 29th? Which apparently is the release date of the song she, of the Rihanna song she co-wrote for Calvin Harris." And everybody's watching her, but she's looking at you. But I'm so, also okay saying his name because he was he was kind of he was a little cruel online, and so and John Mayer also wrote a very cruel song. Like I'm okay saying their name. Was it just too far to fall paper and I'll, I think also, they've been yeah. the most explicitly mean about the stuff that she has said or not said. But also, Calvin Harris was kind of mean about their relationship prior to her even releasing anything. She didn't even release a song about him. She released one, maybe one and a half songs about him on Reputation Total. She did not care by that point. (laughs) She has a line, put on your records, put on your headphones. This one seems like a flashing light. I mean, I think it's pretty clear uh, who we're talking about here. And I think think Bejeweled happened on April 29th. I think that is a connection I'm happy to make. I think these are sister songs. Okay. Proceeding mildly quickly, track 18 if you're counting, Glitch, another Jack Antonoff song. In search of glorious happenings of happenstance on someone else's playground. But it's been 2001. Includes the debut of the word situationship in the, in the Taylor lexicon. <laughs> I like the way this one sounds. I feel like I, I like the way it sounds so much that I haven't paid attention to the lyrics as much. So I'm like looking at the lyrics closely for the first time. I feel like there's so many other moments that sandwich the song that I kind of like when I get to it I'm like oh yeah this is a very lovely sounding song so I feel like I, the contents of it I haven't spent as much time with it's, it seems to be about a casual relationship becoming something very serious pretty simple pretty pretty straightforward there may be something yeah. else going on but you know great and uh, Rob's just been itching to talk about this one he keeps jumping up to it clawing his way towards this one which I understand uh, would have could have should have you never say The best song uh, on either half of the album, the best song on Midnight, the best song in 3 a.m. This is just like, yeah, this is like in the tradition of Right Where You Left Me and New Romantics. This is the one where it's like, she left this one off the album. But it's a different kind of songwriting than she was doing on the album. I totally get that she left this one off the album. It would have been totally out of place. It would have been wrong on the album. But God, what a great song. A lot of jaw drop moments for me lyrically across all of Midnight's 3AM. I mean, this one, as soon as she said 19, which of course famously talking about being a 19-year-old in her song came from Dear John. She very explicitly is talking about being 19 and dating someone older. Um, You know, I think, again, we're getting a lot of references, a lot of threads between different songs from Taylor because this is, as she described it, 
sleepless nights across her entire life. I just think that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. I'll I'll say <laughs> the signs are could not be stronger. The agreement is strong. It appears that this song is about John Mayer. We'll say that name. I think we yeah, are in so agreement. I guess the the reason <laughs> the the reason that I I couldn't quite believe that at first was just I couldn't believe that he anyone had such strong feelings about him. Uh, that, that, <laughs> Again, uh, if you've read Jessica just, Simpson's open book, yes. a genius, book, you know, a great great that book. sometimes. There, there are maybe some women who dated him in this, you know, in this general time frame who have probably a lot more to say that they have withheld for a very I, long time. I've I vaped weed with him in a hotel room around this time. And he and, it's, and I think that's why I have I just the level, the depth of the feelings in this song is it's a revelation. And that's what, you know, I I stand corrected. I did not realize how intense the connection was. It's such a great song. John's a great song, but this is, I think, cuts much deeper. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of even the lyrical, like I had to immediately put on Dear John after I listened to it because I was like, I was like, I need, I need the back. I need the back to back. And I mean, just the way that so much of Dear John hints at this really like innocent shattering type of romantic relationship, this relationship that to her core kind of like start began the sort of breaking point all too well is like of coming the album after is like a real sort of like, well, that's done like that that entire idea of what love is or like what relationships are completely broken and set aflame for the rest of my life and i mean just the line give me back my girlhood it was mine first is just like just cut me to my core i mean if you're looking for a line that can describe like the majority of taylor songs kind of pre-1989 like that is that is it like that is like a real sort of reflective moment and it reminds me a lot of 29 by Demi Lovato like on the vine, too young to drink wine just five years of student I think that we're seeing a lot of you know I feel like there's been so many discourses online and you know a lot of sort of like this idea of like what an age gap relationship looks like when, when is it okay when is it not okay like what happens when like how like how and when do we talk about uh, a young person being taken advantage of in a relationship and kind of what are the lines that we have. And I think this song like 29 is kind of this, like this hindsight moment of, you know, I had this relationship and at the time, like, you know, for Demi, it was like believing that it felt really good and healthy and then kind of having a, a time away from it and realizing that like, Oh no, that was not okay that this happened. And I think for Taylor, she already had that moment where she had already broken completely by it and very quickly by it. And I think it's funny to kind of see her play with the idea of like how much the parts of it that she enjoyed and kind of reckoning with the fact that she did sort of like enjoy this dance with the devil and like this thing. But it also like she can recognize that a lot of these things are happening at once. These very complicated, like nothing's as black and white as like this person hurt me and this was a bad situation. But also like, how do I reckon with the fact that I kind of also ate it up and like enjoyed this like like kind of complicated pain in that um which i think is a really fascinating and sort of like layered thing that i think a lot of people sort of try to resolve for themselves and the god's honest truth is that the pain was heaven yeah and then i mean and the outro is just so intense uh and that's just i mean it's kind of shocking and and disturbing to, to realize the impact of this god rest my soul i miss who i used to be 
the tomb won't close. I regret you all the time. I can't let this go. I fight with you in my sleep. That's why I was just like, whoa, I had no idea. I mean, that's this is her really... most goth song. I would say this is like, honestly, like the, the darkest song on the entire collection. Like the rest of it's kind of like, there's a little tongue in cheek to it. You know, like Antihero, like Antihero has a lot of really dark thoughts on there, but she does it in a way that's sort of like, you know, she's poking fun at some parts of herself. And this one feels like so explicitly dark in a lot of ways. Um, and it's just, you know, it's like a painful wound to reopen generally, no matter who it's about, you know. It's probably one of the darkest songs she's ever written. It's almost like now she like sort of has more perspective on the, you know, on, on the rage of her younger self. And, yeah. you know, and she sees, you know, her, uh, her role in it in a different way. It's really like different kind of song than, than you know, yeah. than one might expect if you heard, you know, that she went back and wrote a song about this relationship. Um, she didn't do it the easy way and she didn't do it the conventional way. You know, she, she didn't write yeah. the Demi Lovato yeah. song. She wrote like a much more complex, yeah. much more complex and much more uh, nuanced song. Yeah. And again, uh, Aaron Desner and him working with her in a very different mode than Folklore mm-hmm. and Evermore uh, shows that that, I think it also suggests that that collaboration is going to have legs because it's totally, totally different than the, what, what they did on those albums. It starts out incredibly biting, some of the most biting lines she's ever written, and that's a long list. And if I was some paint, did it splatter on a promising grown man? And if I was a, and if I was a child, did it matter if you got to wash your hands? It's like that. There's a lot in there. Uh, And that seems to relate to the subject of this song complaining, perhaps, about... (laughs) Actually, it might be the first song that she's written that addresses someone complaining about a previous song she wrote. (laughs) 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 Response to the response. That's what that is, actually. I, I actually would... Bet money on that, actually. <laughs> Again, but Taylor is in her both sides now era. We are, you know, it is real. I love it. I'm having a great time on this journey with her, on this, on this dive into the, the depths of her psyche and her memory. I'm locked in. So we've reached the final track of Midnight's 3 a.m. So far, edition. have we checked? Been talking for a while. I think she might have released another Wait, dozen just... songs or so while we've been talking. I'm scared. I'm, I'm waking up every couple hours, going like, "Oh my god!" I'm sorry to report there are 15 more Midnights songs. Midnights are my afternoons. Uh, this yes. is my 3 p.m. version. So, you know, the cliche interview question is, "What would you say to your younger self?" Is Dear Reader addressed to her younger self? Dear Reader, if it feels like a trap, you're already. That's the vibe I got from it. This is another one. I haven't spent as much time with it at like in a, on a lyrical level um, and more so just kind of have enjoyed the, the sound. But again, like a lot of some jaw dropping moments in those 3 a.m. tracks that I was really just processing <laughs> in like the few hours between waking and, and this. So I feel like, you know, this one got a little bit on the back burner for it. But I, I based off like just the way, you know, like never take advice from someone who's falling apart and all that, like. It does feel like a, a letter to your younger self in a lot of ways. Also, yeah. real quill pen song. This is Jane Eyre. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like when, when you address the reader as reader, lots of examples of that. But the, the canonical one, the famous one, the one everybody knows is Jane Eyre. And with yeah. this song, it's weird. It conjures a very specific image for me, um, an image that I know is like impressed on, on all your minds, very near and dear to Taylor's heart herself. But the climactic scene of the all too well short film 
which he directed, as you may you may, you may have heard. And you know, and the way it ends with her reading the All Too Well book, and you see the readers, yeah. the fans of the book, in the audience, and like those faces are so imprinted on our minds because you know, like we see like the people who are there for like the fictional Taylor's book reading, and they're so like, yeah. you know, they're they're us, right? They're they're the people who are hanging on her word. I, this song gives me a really specific image of her singing to those people those faces in the video, which is just, you know, yeah. my own capricious personal way of hearing it. But it, it, it's funny that the, the idea of like the person she's talking to as the reader, I, I pictured those characters, which are drawn so vividly in the, in the film, even though they don't speak. Yeah. I think it can be both. I think the more I look at it, it's a hundred percent explicitly directed at her past self, but she's also talking to, yes, the reader is yeah. constant reader as to make my st- my second Stephen King reference of the day. It's also directed to constant reader to the fans. Like, this is my advice to my younger self. This is also my advice to you. Yeah, I mean, the, the person bridge, listening. The bridge to outro is like one of my, my favorite sort of pop song tropes, which is just kind of like, I don't know, like a, a kind of indictment on sort of the, the deification of a lot of, you know, it's like the, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. Or like, not that, wait. Yeah, I think that song. And then, like, you know, like, Beyonce kind of doing the, like, you know, I am not God um, image <laughs> behind her on tour. Like, this, like, you should find another guiding light, but I shine so bright. Like, this kind of awareness of, like, what she represents to people, um, you know. And also, you know, she's, like, saying never take advice from someone who's falling apart. Then, you know, she's talking about, like, well, like, I, I prefer hiding in plain sight my fourth drink in my hand. These desperate prayers of a cursed man, like, spilling out to you for free. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, kind of, like, well, like, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't take my advice like and i you know it's kind of a a really i mean that's i think getting this this like kind of cap to the album these seven songs like so much of them deal with her sort of being being the villain and being the person who is kind of you know dealing with a little bit of the darker side of of her when for so many years she was kind of seen as this like you know perfect kind of like you know like she's like playing the victim quote unquote type of stuff and like she's always the one who's getting hurt all this other stuff and then across this album but specifically in these songs like it's like actually you know like yes this you know that man was was the devil but yet i'm still trying to figure out why i was so drawn to it or like i you know i cheated on my boyfriend because he sucked like and this one it's like i'm a mess like i you know you should not take advice from me i'm a human being like you should not look at me as your guiding light like it's just really sort of fascinating like you know like did i do enough did i not do enough to like save this person's life like you know all this other stuff that's really kind of dark and and deep on it. Of course, it, it just occurred to me the twist of this song is she's the whole song is advice and her saying don't listen to the advice. It's her much better version of that uh, wear sunscreen song. That's that's what this is. That's how she concludes by improving yeah. that wear sunscreen advice song. Yeah, and a very archer like you know archers um and like in the archer where it's like you know um like all my heroes die alone like she's kind of presenting this idea that like there's a loneliness to it like she has like to to a house not a home all alone because nobody's there where i pace in my pen my friends found friends who care no one sees when you lose when you're playing solitaire like that's dark is she okay (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure we all have we all have like interview questions we regret not asking one i've been kicking myself for three years is not asking about that line uh, on, on the archer we had a lot of time a lot of things to get through 
and I was dealing with all the, I had heard the Archer because that was a, a single, but I, I was, I had just been presented with all the new songs, like literally, so I was, those were on my mind. So I didn't get to that question. So I'm still regretting that. Hopefully someone will get to ask that about that, more about that song and that line. Brittany, but, uh, Brittany but yeah, I really anyways. applaud your, um, your, 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 your inscription of the Archer with its centrality to the Taylor canon. I love how you're putting the Archer yeah. where it belongs at the absolute crux of her songwriting. I love that. It's so yeah. underrated. Again, a song, that's a song that I, I, I really enjoyed lyrically the first time, but it was like a skip when I would listen to Lover sometimes because I loved the, you know, like I would go to the pop songs and I was like, okay, again, I'm a, I'm a glitter gel pen girl first and foremost. But it was a song that like I've been listening to Lover a lot. It's a song that comes up and up and up and like is, you know, I think with a lot of the lyrics that have come up, I feel like this just like feels like it felt like such like a, a premonition to everything that she'd explore in this and feels sonically and lyrically Absolutely. so similar and like such like a, you know, kind of the, the mother to all of these songs. The, the synth stuff, like I said, is as, is as much the Archer as it is reputation. I feel like it's in a way you could say it's an entire album built off the Archer. You really could say yeah. Um, and she was, I, I, she was struck. That was, it's easy to forget that time when it seemed that, you know, the world was like against her and everything. It really was, it was a real thing. People were negative. People were so, after all the negativity, then people were super negative about me. And then the archer came out. Me, you need to calm down. You are somebody that I don't know, but you're taking shots at me like it's Patron. And I'm just like, damn. And then the Archer was the one where people were like, oh, okay, like these are Taylor's like, because like those first two singles yeah. like sort of made people fear the worst. And in the week between when Archer was out, but the Lover was not out yet, I feel like people accurately grasped like what a perfect song the Archer was. And then Lover came out the song, which is so phenomenal that the Archer kind of got buried by history a bit. But it's yeah, you know, that's one of my picks for the most underrated Taylor Swift songs. It's it's. Yeah, uh, Brittany, I love how you're putting it front and center on the pedestal where all the other songs are yeah. evolving around it. You're so right about this album. The first thing you told me, you know, a couple of days ago, like hearing the album, you, yeah. you said this album is like the, the Archer on steroids. And that is so exactly true. And I mean, especially now hearing the 3 a.m. songs, it's yeah, <laughs> it's even more so. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of wild. Like how? Yeah, I love I love the I love the self-referential stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I like a little inner child work. So we've made it to the end. Closing thoughts? Anything? I, I think I've drained all of my thoughts. I feel like every thought I've ever had has been in this podcast. I feel like it's going to be a good tour. If there's a tour, it's going to be a good tour. Oh, yeah. Yes, but it, it's funny to think, like, what songs from this album, what songs, you know, she hasn't toured, you know, the last four albums at this point, like, let alone the golf. You know the vault songs, so it, she's got to be. You know she's going to break a lot of hearts with what she does and doesn't do on this tour. Yeah, this can't be a, a this is not a casual fan tour, right? Like this is not like this can't. There's Seriously. too much material. It's like one of those things where it's like you're. It's going to be if you know if you if you aren't locked in, it's going to be real yeah, disappointing. I, I feel like cause... if she tries to do something like you know like love story or something now, like people will be like you know rumblingly ominously, you know like. They they want so many like faves from from the latest albums. I will say that if she yeah. doesn't do Betty live on this tour, 
something is oh, something she has is serious because like she has to that is, that is like maybe from this entire four album run that is the most like stadium blowing up song like in the entire the entire songbook yeah. from this recent phase. I'm laughing because a great twist would be if we now unleashed another two hours on the tour. That's our that's our surprise three a.m. release. Is that there's a there's a whole other segment <laughs> now for two to three hours uh, where, we're go, where we propose a so you know buckle in. We're just getting started. No, Keep actually we're done for the four a.m. <laughs> version of the three a.m. edition of the <laughs> afternoon version of the midnights is our afternoon <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and, and you know, for everyone who stuck with us, uh, thanks. The Swifty reaction to these Taylor Swift uh, album podcasts, in particular, is always amazing. So hopefully, we hopefully it lived up I, to. I hope it's okay to say one of the joys of being a, a Swift fan for me is is talking about this music with you two. I always I always enjoy it so much. I always learn so much. I'm always I'm so honored and privileged to be learning from your sharpened Swifty minds, and I thank you for being like the the Sophocles and Aristotle of this Swifty <laughs> syllogism. The Swifty symposium. I, I've been convinced to give Sweet Nothing is another, another shot. I always leave these ready to give the ballad one more go. <laughs> and that's our show for today. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. In the meantime, we have some episodes of our sister podcast, Rolling Stone's Musicians on Musicians, running in our feed. And of course, be sure to subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.